In just over a month, the first votes in the Republican primary will be cast in Iowa. And one candidate has a massive lead. And we're going to crush crooked Joe Biden next November. And we are going to very simply make America great again. But former President Donald Trump isn't the only Republican running. There are about a dozen other people who've also jumped into the race. And over the past few months, one candidate has started to emerge as a potential contender. Nikki Haley. My approach is different. No drama, no vendettas, no whining. For anyone watching these debates, you couldn't help but notice her. That's our colleague Molly Ball, senior political correspondent. She is quick on her feet. She is good at explaining her positions. We have to go and start beefing up the middle class. And the first thing I would do is I will eliminate the federal um, gas and diesel tax in this country. She's very good at clapping back at anyone who comes at her, who insults her. Uh, She can dish it out as well as she can take it. And how would you describe what happened at the most recent debate on Wednesday night? Everybody ganged up on Nikki Haley. You know, there were four candidates on stage, no frontrunner, no Donald Trump, but Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, and Vivek Ramaswamy, all of them focusing their attacks on Nikki Haley, which I think makes it perfectly clear which candidate is seen as the one to beat at this point. I love all the attention, fellas. Thank you for that. Haley's received some big endorsements with deep pockets. And in a lot of polls, she's moved into second place albeit a very distant second place. So can she pull it off? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, December 8th. Coming up on the show, why Nikki Haley is emerging as the top challenger to Trump. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. What do you find most interesting about Nikki Haley as a politician? No, I think there are a lot of interesting things about Nikki Haley. She is uh, the child of Indian immigrants who grew up in a small town in South Carolina and became an accountant until she just took it upon herself to run for office and became a sort of outsider candidate, was the conservative insurgent Tea Party type candidate in 2010 when she ran for governor. And she's someone who has a history of pulling off big upsets. She has that line that anyone who's been around her has probably heard about how she wears those spike heels so she can kick people with them. I wear heels. It's not for a fashion statement. It's because if I see something wrong, we're going to kick them every single time. And so she has this very aggressive style that she delivers with a smile that people seem to like. Haley has been in politics a long time, but she rose to national prominence in 2015. 
after the murder of Black churchgoers in Charleston, South Carolina, by a white supremacist. You know, she was the governor at that time, and she decided it was time to finally take down the Confederate flag at the South Carolina state capitol. Today, we are here in a moment of unity in our state, without ill will, to say it's time to move the flag from the capitol grounds. This was something that had been, you know, controversial in South Carolina for literally decades, uh, something that Republicans had defended for a long time. And she decided enough was enough, and she had to push and fight very, very hard to get that Republican legislature behind her. Uh, but it meant a lot to her. She took it personally, and it was a very significant victory for her. Haley was critical of Trump during the 2016 primary, and she initially backed Marco Rubio. But after Trump became the nominee, she gave him her support. After the election, Trump chose Haley to be his ambassador to the United Nations. She served for two years and left the administration on good terms. It was a blessing to go into the UN with body armor every day and defend America. Um, And I'll always do that. I'll never truly step aside from fighting for our country. But I will tell you that I think it's time. And in February of this year, she was one of the first Republicans to announce that she was running for president. So she got in early, hoping that she could get some attention that way. In fact, was one of the first candidates in the race, hoping that that would give people a chance to get to know her, give her a chance to go out there, do the work on the ground, meet the Iowans, meet the New Hampshireites, and really trying to plant a flag in New Hampshire more than anything. How was her announcement received at first? I think it didn't make an enormous splash. And if you remember, that was a moment where Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was seen as the one to beat in this campaign, the potential Trump slayer in the campaign. Uh, Most people were looking at this race as a battle between Trump and DeSantis, including Trump. You know, from before DeSantis entered the race, Trump was singling him out as a threat. Trump was attacking him. Trump's super PAC dropped more than $10 million in ads against DeSantis when he wasn't even a candidate. So Haley was flying under the radar, not getting a ton of attention, not seen as having much of a chance for quite a while there. On the issues, Haley is more of a traditional Republican than most other candidates. She says she's unapologetically pro-life, and she said recently that she would have signed a six-week abortion ban if it came to her desk when she was governor of South Carolina. But she's criticized efforts to limit abortion at the federal level, which she says would never get enough votes to get through Congress. As much as I'm pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice, and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. Haley says she believes climate change is real, but would rather let the private sector figure it out. On national security, she's known as a hawk. She's tough on China, and she supports sending financial aid to Israel and Ukraine. So when you want to talk about what has been given to Ukraine, less than three and a half percent of our defense budget has been given to Ukraine. And on the issue of Donald Trump, she's tried to walk a careful line during the debates. She didn't make a lot of forceful criticisms of his character or behavior, but she said, look, we all know that he's got a lot of baggage. There's a lot of chaos surrounding him. And so she was making an electability argument, saying Republicans would have a better chance of winning with someone like her on the ticket, and also saying, as much as we may have loved Trump's presidency, he's just too chaotic and unpredictable, and wouldn't you like to have someone, uh, the proverbial steady hand on the tiller? We're ready. 
ready to move past the stale ideas and faded names of the past. And we are more than ready for a new generation to lead us into the future. So she's not really positioning herself as like an anti-Trump. She's more saying that we're ready to move on from Trump. That's right. And uh, that's a calculation that we've seen most of these candidates make because they've all met Republican primary voters. They can read a poll. They know that there's very little appetite for an anti-Trump candidate in today's Republican Party. And it's really testament to the way that Donald Trump has reshaped the Republican Party in his image over the past decade. Uh, There may have been a fair amount of Trump skeptical Republicans back in 2016, but these days they've all either been purged or persuaded. So it is a pro-Trump party and the candidates know that, even given everything uh, that Trump's been through recently, isn't perceived as a huge lane for someone who's going to aggressively argue against Donald Trump. Has she said anything about Donald Trump's involvement in January 6th and this wholly disproven idea that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump? She has. She actually came out very strongly against Trump after January 6th, saying that that this was wrong. But again, uh, like most Republicans, she came back in the fold after that. I believe President Trump was the right president at the right time. So her campaign starts out and she's kind of flying under the radar, not getting a lot of attention. When and how did her campaign start to gain momentum? You can trace it all to the debates. It is really the debate performances that have buoyed her into contention. I don't think she's doing anything special that the other candidates aren't doing, except for putting on a good show on that debate stage. She's able to, you know, insert herself into conversation, to make strong arguments, to deliver memorable zingers. While she's held back on Trump, she's gone harder against her opponents on the debate stage. She seemed particularly annoyed by Vivek Ramaswamy, the businessman and uh, political newcomer who has a particularly sort of trollish presence on the debate stage, and she has seemed personally offended by him. So, you know, lines like turning to Vivek and saying, Make America less safe. You have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? That was in the first debate. And in the second debate, she turns on him again, and she says, Honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. And it got to the point in the in the third debate last month where she actually called him scum. Uh, he had insulted uh, her family, brought her brought her daughter into it. Uh, so she felt personally attacked. So there's a real mutual loathing between those two candidates. But it's been an opportunity for her to to show her toughness, to show how she can dish out those attacks. Haley isn't just excelling at the debates. She's also starting to rake in more and more money. That's after the break. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. Learn about adopting a team from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Last week, Nikki Haley got an endorsement from a huge conservative super PAC, Americans for Prosperity Action. Which is the grassroots and donor network headed by uh, the billionaire industrialist Charles Koch, 
the surviving member of the the famous Koch brothers. So he is a sort of libertarian-minded, old-school Republican who has spent billions on politics. I think no big secret that he's not a very big fan of Trump. And the Americans for Prosperity Network, which is a network of big donors, but then also this, you know, grassroots organization that knocks on doors in Iowa and other states. It isn't just the deep pockets of Charles Koch. Many establishment Republicans, and even a few prominent Democrats, have recently announced their support of Haley. She's also getting a look from Wall Street. We've reported on the many Wall Street CEOs who are, who are throwing fundraisers for her or who are sort of auditioning her, uh, wanting to talk to her. And so she's really having a moment with those types of people. So that's going to give her a lot of money. It got her some attention. It gets her some momentum. It lends some credence to this idea that the Republican establishment, to the extent that it still exists, uh, can try to sort of consolidate around one person and she should be it. How much might that influence the race, do you think? Because in some ways it seems like it could be a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's, you know, money and resources that can help her run a campaign. But on the other hand, particularly in the Republican Party, there has been a very strong anti-establishment wing and desire among voters. So could these endorsements from parts of the establishment actually become a hindrance at some point? That is certainly what uh, Haley's rivals and, and critics are hoping. And we, we heard her attacked on the debate stage in exactly those terms. And now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. You know, you could sort of close your eyes and almost feel like it was Donald Trump in 2016 on that stage, right? Saying these other candidates are all puppets. They've all got their donors and their puppets and I can't be bought. So you're right. It is a double-edged sword to have that kind of support from the establishment, which is not particularly loved by the Republican base. Haley's response to those criticisms is, well, don't you wish you had it? And in terms of these donors that are supporting me, they're just jealous. They wish that they were supporting them, but I'm not going to... They wish they had this money, this endorsement, and uh, she'll take the support wherever she can get it. But even with all this support, Haley is still behind Trump in every single poll. She's polling in the teens, and Trump is above 50%. Do you think she has any chance of actually beating Donald Trump? Well, look, I'm a reporter. I don't make predictions. It's a very firm policy because anything can happen. The future hasn't happened yet, and a poll is just a snapshot. We have no idea who's going to win. And this is an unusual race. This is not the type of uh, primary that we've really seen before. It's Trump's third campaign for president. He's a former president who lost his last election. Uh, He's facing all these criminal indictments and other legal troubles. So I'm not counting anybody out, even if they are down 50 points in the polls. I mean, she is so far behind. Everybody's so far behind Donald Trump. What, What would need to happen in order for that gap to close? I think there's a couple things. I think the fact that Haley is having this little surge of momentum as we are so close to the caucuses and to voting beginning means that she has a chance to create a moment. And we see in politics, momentum is a very powerful thing. And things can change very, very quickly if voters suddenly latch on to something or someone. So that's one thing is momentum. And then the other thing is this argument that uh, a lot of Republicans are having with each other about consolidation, 
a lot of powerful voices in the Republican Party, a lot of members of the conservative establishment who aren't sure that Trump is is the best bet uh, for 2024 uh, or that he can win against Biden or any other Democrat. They are arguing that in order to beat Trump, something literally no one has ever done in a Republican primary, that the candidates have to consolidate the vote, get all of the voters who would vote for someone other than Trump, and sort of leapfrog to victory. If she were the Republican nominee, how does she poll against Biden? She polls extremely well against Biden. In fact, in a lot of the head-to-head matchups that pollsters have done in this race, she appears to be the strongest candidate against Biden, in some cases uh, leading him by double digits. But that is one of her calling cards, saying, look, I'm the most electable candidate. Look how well I do against Biden. It feels like in almost every primary, both on the Democratic side and the Republican side, there's always been candidates that have suddenly shot up in the polls for a week or two before fading again. Do you think Nikki Haley's rise has staying power, or might she just be a flash in the pan? We won't know until Iowa, but you're right. There's often a sort of flavor of the moment component to these candidates who rise in the polls. I would say, you know, I think the argument Haley's campaign would make and I am not obviously advocating for them or speaking for them, but they would point to the fact that her rise has not been a bubble. It hasn't been this meteoric shooting up in the polls after one incident or you know a viral video or something like that. It's been slow and steady. She has climbed after every debate and the more voters see her, the more they seem to like her. You know, the more voters see Ron DeSantis, the less they seem to like him. Uh, But Haley, the more exposure people get to her, the more she's able to put herself in front of them and give them a taste of what she has to offer, the more compelled they are. And that can be really powerful. And before we go, we're excited to drop the second episode of our new series, Artificial, the Open AI Story, on Sunday. That's all for today, Friday, December 8th. The Journal is a co-production of Spotify and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by John McCormick. The show's made by Annie Baxter, Kylan Burtz, Catherine Brewer, Maria Byrne, Victoria Dominguez, Pia Gadkari, Rachel Humphreys, Matt Kwong, Kate Linebaugh, Jessica Mendoza, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Alan Rodriguez Espinosa, Heather Rogers, Jonathan Sanders, Pierce Singy, Jivika Verma, Lisa Wang, Catherine Whalen, Tatiana Zamis, and me, Ryan Knudsen. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner, Nathan Singapak, and Peter Leonard. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Marcus Bagala, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, Nathan Singapak, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Mary Mathis. Thanks for listening.